And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock, not joined by my regular co-host, who is being a dad, um, which, you know, that means at, at The Athletic, that's a solid six weeks minimum. It might be six months. I don't know. It, it prompts some people to have more children. But uh, joined by my new co-host, at least for this episode, Mike Golick Jr., and we were talking before we came on air about, um, you know, when you don't have kids... Maybe get to do some extra cool stuff. Uh, and if you follow Mike on Twitter on this very important Ted Lasso Eve day, uh, you know that Mike Golick Jr. was, in fact, with the man himself and the entire cast. So, Mike, first, thanks for coming on. And then let's get straight into the, how you were rubbing elbows with Coach Lasso himself. Yeah, it... Uh like you said, me being single and childless has never benefited me more. And it was the most Los Angeles thing that I have done since I have lived here thus far. Because I'm sitting around on a Tuesday night and a friend of mine, former co-worker Sarah Spain, texts me at like 8 o'clock on a Tuesday. Former and guest I, of the Shamrock. It's a, 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 prou- a proud alumnus of the show here. And... I had seen pictures. She was out in uh, L.A. She used to live out here, so I didn't really think anything of it. And she texts me at like 8 o'clock on Tuesday night. It's like, hey, hypothetically, if I had an extra ticket to the Ted Lasso Season 3 premiere post-party, would you be able to be in Brentwood by 9.30? I looked at my clock. It was 8 o'clock. I was like, yeah, I can make that work. And so shaved my head, got dressed up, hopped in the car, and drove over there. And apparently she had been at the season three premiere because she's actually friends with Brendan Hunt, who plays Coach Beard. Uh, Sarah's infinitely more famous, well-connected, and fun to be around than I am. So she's there hanging out with like Abby Wambach and her crew, and Abby didn't want to come to the after party. And so I ended up getting her ticket. So uh, I owe Abby Wambach some sort of edible <laughs> arrangement for not wanting to go to this party and allowing me to go and meet the whole who are awesome. Like they're as lovely in person as you would imagine they were. I got to hang out with May and the guys from the pub. I uh, got to talk to Brendan Hunt, Coach Beard for a while, who was awesome. And, you know, certainly got to just say, like, thank you to Jason Sudeikis. I still border on Chris Farley's show every time I'm around someone that famous. So it, <laughs> I composed myself well enough. Was the after party, did it resemble the Coach Beard episode from season two at all, where it was a bit trippy? <laughs> yes. And the, my favorite part about it was as there's a dance floor in the middle of this like swanky restaurant in Brentwood. I don't even remember the name of the place, but they also had a buffet, which was incredible. I didn't think Hollywood parties catered themselves the way I would, but go off. (laughs) They had a dance floor in the middle. And as we're getting ready to leave, it's probably like 1230. So not too late, not too early. The DJ was on a heater and all of a sudden he plays. I want to dance with somebody, which is one of those like international signs that everyone is on the dance floor. And I look back over at the dance floor and all of this DJ and I see 
Brendan Hunt, Coach Beard, just getting after it, leading the charge out on the dance floor. Of all the cast members, he was the most excited to be out there in that moment. So I like to think I did see a little bit of another mini Beard side episode go That's on good. in real uh, life. Yeah, that uh, that would be a fun experience to to live as we uh, eagerly anticipate. So did you see the premiere? Have you seen the premiere already? So that's the funny part is I didn't see the premiere. Like I wasn't there for the actual <laughs> premiere. I was just there for the after party. And so I stuck around long enough to get to eat a couple of boxes of biscuits, try the Jenny's biscuit ice cream, but did not nice. see anything. Okay. So, Well, that's solid. Well, b- before we get into the actual Notre Dame football part of the show, uh, we were going to do this a couple weeks ago. I came under the weather. I was not bit by a mushroom zombie. Uh, we're both fans of the last of us which wrapped up over the weekend uh of a big giraffe guy so i liked i liked the way that all all wrapped up but uh what uh i want to know in a if we were going to recast last of us in notre dame terms who would be joel and who would be ellie oh wow okay so criteria for joel for people that may not be familiar with the show joel is the hardened protector He is a man with considerable survival skills. He is someone who knows his way around this place. And while gruff at first, underneath that gruff exterior is a man who just deeply wants to care for somebody. He has lost. He has hurt. I I I know the position group you're leading here. Yeah. (laughs) You know what, man? I want to say Marcus because, like, there's the corollary that we dealt with loss early in the season last year and still found his way back. Obviously presents, like, the big, strong former football player. But we know, you know, big-time dad, girl dad, like, very loving, all those things. Who – I mean – I will say I don't and I don't know the man, but just based off look alone, Joe Rudolph does look a lot like what you would mm. cast as a sort of Joel type there. I just don't know him at all. Like yeah. That. Yeah, I could see that. I was thinking more player because like uh, I don't think Quentin Nelson is nearly as funny as Joel in the show, but he definitely in if left to his own devices in that world, I think he would have killed as many people as Joel. Oh, see, oh, I didn't realize we had the whole Notre Dame narrative universe to work. We can take this wherever we want it. Oh, well, I mean, I would say, especially because it's kind of then mentor and protege, it would be Coach Heastand and Quentin. Because Mm. at the center of all that, too, is their love of violence. And if two people loved on-field violence more than Coach Heastand and Quentin Nelson, you'd be hard-pressed to find them. Like, they understood the joy of moving a man from point A to point B against his will. So, yeah, Coach Heastand, gruff exterior, but loving when you get to know him, an incredible mentor, and found his protege in Quentin Nelson. And that's no disrespect, obviously, to all the rest of the first rounders and the great players, but there was just something about Quentin's desire to so clearly emulate all the things that Coach Eastand was teaching and then to apply them with a force that is uncommon to mankind. So I would go Coach Eastand in Q. Now I'm, I'm even more disappointed that Eastand is retired now that I can't just ask, do you like giraffes at his next press availability, which would have been the last question he was ever asked. But, yeah, it uh, would have been the last of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, before getting into like you know the the usual spring stuff that start spring ball starts next week. Um, the last time you were on the show, I think we had sort of a, a back and forth. Uh, I think you, myself, and Fortuna, we were all like, you know what? 
I get it. The offense not good at Ohio State, but like, let's give this a moment. Uh, you advised our listeners to go touch some grass as it related to Tommy Reese. In the very next week, they lost to Marshall, which definitely got thrown back in all three of our faces quite a bit. Um, and yet, here we are, three, four months down the road. Nick Saban has decided that, in fact, Tommy Reese is a good offensive coordinator and will be paid an average of $2 million over the next three years. Um, My dog. What uh, what did you make of the way the season went for Reese and his exit from Notre Dame? Because um, I think that even though people were sort of angsty about him while the season was playing out in spots, um, the fact that he was here six years in the second spell, I think, what, 10 years total over the last 13, 14, that there was sort of a begrudging, you know what, good on you for getting this next opportunity sort of appreciate the work that you did. Best of luck to you. I hope so. Yeah. Shit. Like at some, (laughs) at some point y'all are going to have to appreciate the stuff Tommy did for you. Damn. But uh, no, you know what? I I think the way the season played out for, for Tommy was what I expected, right? Like I, I said for Tommy, for coach Freeman, this last season, you could see people get better as the year went on. Like, the fact that Drew Pine ends up as a viable candidate for the transfer portal to go over and try and compete for a job at ASU is because we saw him get better to the point where he played his best ball at the end of the year against USC. You looked across the board, the O-line development with Coach Heastan. Everyone got better as the year went along. You were weaning these young receivers into the lineup here. You had, you know, I think the summation of all of it probably some of people's frustrations in what we saw in the bowl game where yes you know you had the pick six down near the goal line where everyone is once again begging Tommy to run it but you also have the fourth and one play that steals from the Lions touchdown uh, ironically enough to a former Notre Dame tight end for a wide in you know wide open walk-in touchdown that displayed I think all of the strengths of Tommy as a play caller, right? Going to maximize his resources and use them to the best of their ability. Going to be one of the more creative users of shifting and motion to give his quarterbacks information, to create matchups on offense. And I I think that got highlighted as the season went along. As As everyone now in draft season is sort of honing in on Notre Dame through the lens of Michael Mayer and saying, my God, how did this tight end catch so many footballs in an offense where nobody else could realistically or consistently get the ball in the passing game. Everybody knew we were throwing the ball to him and it didn't matter because you had a coordinator that knew how to get him the ball in creative ways. And you had a player that's, you know, that statistically and in more ways than one, one of the best, if not the best tight ends to ever come through Notre Dame. So I think the season aged remarkably well for Tom and, I, I I know for me personally, and I could say this, I'm rooting for that Alabama offense to score a thousand points a game. <laughs> I, I, I like I I promise you I am that petty and I am rooting that hard for like <laughs> on a personal level, I'm so pumped for Tommy because we all know like if people I, I think again, like you said, most fans understood this is not one of the jobs you get to say no to. Because yeah. professional development wise, coaching that was under priority Nick Saban, one for him. Right. Like Tommy's like the Tommy's. We always talk about the youth for Tommy is this advantage. It also means he's young in his career. And I'm sure knowing what a competitor he is, he's got goals and places he wants to be. And coaching under Nick Saban is just one of those places that gets you to that next spot. So I was so pumped for him 
seeing how much he's making dope too. love that for Tom not paying for drinks the next time we're somewhere together. But uh, it's just uh, it was exciting, man. Like from a from a personal level, I was genuinely excited like I am. Anytime I see the guys that I was around as a player mm-hmm. now being able to accomplish in their life after playing football and whatever they chose to do. And Tommy's certainly done that at about as high a level as anybody. Yeah, it just I thought that the offense, the, the the number of times where Reese would call a play and you're just like, oh, God, that's like the, the Mitchell Evans one obviously was the best yeah. of the best in the best moment. But um, yeah, the, the motion stuff, it'll be interesting to sort of see where Notre Dame takes that moving forward because you just don't see a lot of college schemes do that. And it's like when I talked to, you know, Dan Orlovsky has called some Notre Dame games and like he thinks really highly of the way Reese calls offense, just like. When Marcus Freeman talks about we want a pro style offense, like that's that's to me what that is. It's less about not having receivers outside the numbers like what Tennessee does. It's like putting pro concepts in there and like asking your quarterback to play at a very, very high level. Sometimes when they I mean, they may struggle to do so. But um, man, yeah. Reese Reese really stuck to his guns on that and was like, we're going to run complicated, complex stuff. And I think you, you finally saw the fruits of that in the final game. And, and a lot of that is, you know, and, and we heard this for years, speaking of Joe Rudolph's background, kind of about Wisconsin's offense, yeah. where it would take quarterbacks three years to sort of know enough of the system from the neck up to be able to operate it the way they needed to. But yeah, it's going to be fascinating. That's, I mean, Tommy's NFL background showed up there that time he spent with the chargers and a lot of the influence in his life from his dad. And otherwise you could see it in the way that he called offense. Like that's the difference in the NFL is like college. You're trying to sometimes schematically and tempo wise, create mismatches. You mentioned Tennessee, Ole Miss, some of these other offenses, that we've seen traditionally work with this one. It's like, no, I understand who I want to target on defense. And I think I have an idea based on what we've studied of how to use our players to get that person isolated, to let us know where that person's going to be working. And so, you know, that'll be the task. And, and, you know, I I have a a lot of confidence and I'm looking forward to seeing what Jared does. Like uh, he's a guy Mm -hmm. I have familiarity with from watching his time at West Virginia. And just quite frankly, the resources you're walking into. Like yeah. you mentioned some of the things they want to do. It's easy to run a pro style offense when you got two NFL tackles and a quarterback who plays at an NFL level. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Before jumping into like what's coming at Notre Dame, a final word on Harry Heastand, um, who news dumped himself with the announcement of his retirement, which <laughs> at first I was like, come on, Notre Dame. Like, can't you just be like, Harry, we're not doing that. We're not announcing your retirement 20 minutes before the kickoff of the Super Bowl. But 
I think Harry Eastend sort of does what he wants. So uh, where I'm sure you knew that was coming, um, but how did you process the fact that the guy was was hanging up the whistle? I, you know, what? I actually didn't. I, oh. I, I, I was, I was as caught off guard by that as anybody else. And you know, in kind of making the rounds after that, I there were some guys I talked to who had an inkling that this was going on, but it, it for the most part caught everyone by surprise, myself included. Um, but that being said, I, I don't know. I was just. I was sad for the guys currently on the roster. Like I was glad that, you know, Joe and Blake and the rest of these guys got a year of seeing this up close and, you know, not just hearing about it anymore. I, I that alone I can speak to having just one year of Coach Eastand. It's enough to change you. Cause after one year, you'll hear that voice in the back of your head for the rest of your life. Like that's, that's frightening. It, it's it, it's it, it is frightening. I I say it sort of like half joking, half not, but the message is so consistent with Coach Heastand, and the thing I so appreciated was he was never going to take the easy way out when it came to coaching. Like, there's a lot of coaches and a lot of people that are going to spend time going through every look you can possibly see, trying to basically cover their own ass so they can say, hey, when it gets to the game, I showed you this. Like, we, we yeah. went over this, and... He always said, no, I am going to teach you the tools that you need to survive any situation. And if we master these fundamentals, we master these things that you're supposed to do, you'll know the technique to use in every moment. But a game is a living, breathing organism. And so you're going to be ready for whatever comes because we have drilled this so consistently. And you're never that's why I mean, these guys can self-coach by the time you get through a year with Coach Eastand. Mm -hmm. You go through a meeting and you know exactly where you messed up on film. You can answer the question before it comes up you can see it you can identify it because it is internalized in you it it doesn't take long because the way the message delivered is so consistent and so ferocious and so those guys are already going to be different uh, for one year of having had him but he's you know for my money the best coach in the history of modern offensive line like obviously you're going to go back and Joe Moore's and some other names for careers you know Joe Moore who was Harry's idol also in yep. O-line coaching uh, you know, and a guy that he fell under the coaching tree of, I would say. But there are very few people who affected the game the way that Coach Heastan did. And when he retired, I said it, and I'll say it again here, you do not get the last decade plus of Notre Dame football without Coach Heastan. It is just not possible. Like, what he did developing the pro part of the program that became the identity during Brian Kelly's era does not happen without Coach Heastan. There are other very good coaches. He was the only one who I think could have made that unit as great as it was for almost a decade. Yeah, it's. I mean, when Marcus Freeman talks about, hey, I want to be an offensive and defensive line-driven program, like, you can't... The only reason you could be an offensive line-driven program is because Harry Heastan was here for six years total, you know, and, you know, recruited... The, not that he was a elite recruiter, but, like, as a developer, that's it. Like, that's his... That, you don't get any better than that. Um, and like we, I think we both were tweeting this out yesterday. Like once Quentin Nelson signs his second contract with the Colts, that 2015 offensive line will have hit a half billion dollars in NFL contract money, which is just, just stupid. Like it's just stupid money that he's like, he's making the elite of the elite of the elite um, have come out of here because they've worked with him. Yeah. And, and I always, like and because then I, I you mentioned not having to like recruit as well because you sort of sell yourself like he's Alabama football 
in one position group, right. right? If you're an offensive lineman, why would you not want to go and play for this guy? Like when coach, when coach Eastan first came to Notre Dame, I remember sitting around with like Zach and Watt and Braxton and a lot of those guys. And we were looking at the spots he's been in everywhere he had been. Guys had gotten drafted high guys had gotten turned out into the pros. Like we knew coming in, the proof was in the pudding with coach Eastan. Yeah. everywhere he met. He had been a guy that had made everyone and given them the best shot to go to the next level possible. And so it, it like when I hear guys talk about playing for coach Saban, like I remember Lewis Riddick so distinctly came on um, Golik and Wingo one morning when I was still at ESPN and he was talking about playing for coach Saban when he was in um, Cleveland with the Browns and he was coaching the secondary there under Belichick and he talked about and described all of the things that he thought made coach Saban special. And if you close your eyes and remove the name, it was coach Eastan. Like huh. it, it's, there's a formula for these guys that are successful over time as long as they are, and it's delivering simple but effective messaging over and over again and never compromising the standard, never letting a drill just be something that you're getting through to get to the next one. Like, no, we're doing this because it's going to show up in a game, and we're going to do it until we get it right. And it is an unflinching resolve towards that goal that I think lives in – those guys in that class and are that caliber of coach because that's uh, that is the caliber of coach that coach Eastand is like he's in that same breath for what position coaches are and we know in college football especially in the NFL also like that position especially having a difference maker of a coach there is a program changing thing and so that's who coach Eastand was like I owe a lot of my football life to him outside of my dad he's the most impactful football coach I ever played for um, he's you know one of the most important men that's come into my life and someone whose opinion still to this day matters a great deal to me. So he he believed in me when a lot of other people didn't, and that's something that I will always appreciate from him. Well, whenever Reese buys you those beers, I'll be interested <laughs> to sort of hear what he has to say about the comparison between Heastan and Coach Saban because, yeah. he, you know, I think Heastan was such an ally of Reese even when he was a player here. Saban is not necessarily going to have that affinity <laughs> for for Tommy because he's Nick Saban. He's the you know the greatest of all time. But that it will be interesting to sort of see what markers Tommy picks up from Saban that he's already picked up from Harry in the past. Because I I gotta think that there's a ton of similarities there. Yeah, I will be I will be fascinated to pick his brain on that uh, from a number of standpoints. Obviously, you know, Nick Saban, the most efficient operation in college football for a while. But I mean, besides that, Tommy walking into a situation where the head coach might dog cuss him a little bit and the fan base is going to have expectations he can't possibly meet. Tommy's been trained for this. He's ready. I'm looking forward to the time when they're averaging 44 points a game and the Alabama fan base is pissed off because yep. that's not something he had in Notre Dame. Like occasionally you get a dog game. You're like, oh, God, it's, you know, just 24 points today. Like 24 points. That'd be like a, a nuclear apocalypse down there. I mean, that that yeah. that's the mushroom zombies taking over. Like, look out. Exactly. It's going to be uh, it's I had a I had a friend of mine who covers, you know, the SEC down there kind of mentioned that. And I was like. Something tells me Tommy's Tommy's ready for it. Like yeah. if anyone's used to being the center of a lot of discussion, it, it's that guy. So yeah. it'll be uh, it'll be fascinating. Well, spinning it forward to like Notre Dame now, um, I thought for all the because of drama, angst, whatever of the coaching staff turnover, this program to me feels so much more 
Marcus Freeman's today mm-hmm. than it did two months ago. And that's not to say like it's better off because Tommy left or Harry retired. I'm not even going to get into that. But I do think there is some value in like, all right, Marcus, it's your show now. Um, do you sort of feel that way as an alum, as a fan? Like, all right, let's, th- now it's like, I don't want to say like the training wheels come off, but it's just like, it's you now. Like you take what you learned over the last 13, 14 games. You want to throw the Fiesta Bowl in there. These are your coaches, you know, Rudolph back to Ohio State, Gino Gadouli back to Cincinnati. Jared Parker obviously goes back to Purdue with Marcus. Um, it's his show now. And I think in some ways, while that it's that can be exciting if you're a Notre Dame fan about like, all right, this we're you're all in on Marcus Freeman at, at maybe a new level than than where you were at the end of last season. Yeah, I mean, you're across the bridge now, right? Yeah. Everything about that everything about that process that went on at the end of Brian Kelly's tenure into Marcus was just strange and different. Yeah. The whole and I, show I, I think it, we get it, right? Like I understand why it played out the way that it did. For oh, for sure. I'm yeah. not questioning why it played out the way it did. I'm just acknowledging it was abnormal. Even in college football, we don't see that sort of transition of power go about like that, where you do have the offensive coordinator announced that's returning before we get the official news that the yep. head coach is being signed and all these different things. So yeah, we're, you know, that was the bridge to what was always going to happen. Like, I think we knew, you know, Coach Eastan coming back, it probably wasn't going to be for the entirety of Marcus Freeman's tenure. And like we talked about with Tommy, he was young enough to where eventually some opportunity to jump to the next level of his career was going to present. But it got here a little bit faster than we all expected. And so I sort of liken it to when in the NFL, uh, head coach and a GM draft a young quarterback. Mm-hmm. and they finally get their guy. And now all of a sudden, I always say that's when the clock starts, when you're being judged as a GM and a coach, is when you either in free agency or in the draft got your guy at quarterback because now this is, okay, this is the thing that's hardest to find. This is what we're supposed to be going after. It's your show now. And I think for Marcus, now that's kind of where we're at also is, all right, we got through some of the you know growing pains of year one. It was that transition. It was different in all the ways that we've talked about. Now you're sort of settled in here. You spent two calendar years on this campus as a coordinator and as the head coach, and you've built a staff full of people that you're comfortable with and people that you've got experience. You've got this installed, and you had to weather that first round of, hey, when you're a good program with a good staff, other people are going to come looking. Yeah. Other people are going to come calling. And so, yeah, it it, it it does feel different now, mostly for me because I barely know anyone in the building yeah. anymore, but uh, it, uh, it definitely does have that different weight to it now yeah. for sure. So, I mean, when you look at year one for him, what did you like? Is And is there anything that sort of gives you pause about like, well, this is something he's going to have to get sorted out in, in terms of like how the program is operating, how the program's running? Um, I don't have a lot of qualms because like he did a thing that's really hard. Like he weathered the early storm at Notre Dame, especially at a time where right now, and this isn't just a Notre Dame thing, but college football in general, we're week to week with whether we want to, you know, throw you out or lift you up based on the results. And early in the season, we were drowning in a sea of those results and Marcus simultaneously stuck to his guns. But also when you hear players talk kind of adjusted their approach and said, all right, are there things that we need to tweak and go about doing those in the way that he saw fit? And the message never stopped resonating with the players. And that's the hardest thing to do, right? Both as a new coach, but really as any coach is to make sure that 
when things aren't going well and you don't have the early returns and results, that the message is still getting delivered and that you've still got people that are approaching the work in the way they need to. Like I've been on bad teams where all of a sudden, like late in the year, October and November, when you've lost three gains in early September and October, it's hard. Like the, the swell on campus isn't as much anymore. The player walk is sparse. People aren't, the buzz on Friday is not the same because the fan base is out at that point because you're not in contention for anything meaningful. And so I thought he did a really good job of navigating all of that. I think he's done as well as you can. I know this offseason was complicated Mm -hmm. with everything that happened with the offensive coordinator hire and a lot of things that I think were out of Marcus's hands from that standpoint, but has gone about building and replacing a staff on a timeline where you had assistants, understandably, given the opportunities that came to them and when, but were getting plucked from the staff really late in the offseason cycle, like after both signing days when you're in the offseason program. So none of that is easy, and you haven't heard complaints. You've just seen a coach adjust and say, all right, we're going to go to what comes up next, and we're going to try and make it happen still. You were here with, I want to say, three offensive line coaches, if not four? Okay. How do – I think – my feeling is that I think that fans probably get more worked up about coaching changes on the assistant level than actual players do. Am I off on that? And like, how do players actually process that? Um, no, I mean, I would say I don't think worked up is the right term with players, but it's the biggest adjustment you make. Like okay. a new head coach coming in is a big adjustment. And I'm sure there are things about the day-to-day operation that Marcus does differently than Brian did, even if he coached with them. And even if this was part of the transition based off comfort, but like Marcus even said it, part of the tough part about transitioning to head coaches, you don't get to spend as much time with the guys and Marcus is down in the weight room. We see all that stuff, but he's not at the head of the defensive meeting room every day. He doesn't get to put his hand in the pile with the linebackers as intimately every day. Position coach is the one you're going to spend all your time with. Like That's who you've got to learn to communicate the best and most effectively with and who you spend all your time with as a player. And so you just went from learning someone else's love languages to now having to learn this. And that's spring ball is honestly, for the most part, spring ball is we're all getting exercise outdoors and we're learning some things. But (laughs) when you've got a a new position coach, it's really important to learn, hey, what are the drills that we're going to be doing every day in practice in the fall? What are Mm -hmm. the techniques that this coach wants to install and matters to them? Because when Coach Eastan was your coach, it is your job to go out there and execute his technique. And there are certain things that Coach Eastan coaches that I think are universal amongst offensive line play. But I'm sure Joe Rudolph, being an experienced and very successful lone guy coach himself, is going to have technique that are things that he has practiced and preached for years that you're going to have to start to learn and drill as a player. And then when you get to the spring game, the most important part of that exercise and any scrimmage you have is what is game day communication like? Like when we go to the sideline in between series, how does this coach operate? What is the conversation that we're having? What information do I need to bring to the table as a player? If I'm one of the backup guys, what are my eyes on during series to help that process? And then how does the coach want to communicate these things? You know, that was when Coach H first came, that was, hey, game days are about solutions. Like I'm not going to dog cuss you guys on game days as much. We know it still happens some, but I'm not going to do that as much because – 
he was, hey, like backup guys were with Coach Eastam. We were watching down the line. We were helping him see what did the defense bring on each play of that series. Mm-hmm. He'd take it down. And then we'd come over to the sideline and we would go through each play, talk about what we saw from our perspective on the field, and go from there. You learn that process during spring football. And especially during the spring game, you get your first crack at how we're going to problem solve once we get to the fall. And so I think all those things are valuable through spring football. And so just getting used to that newness as a player. And for these guys now, I mean, for this current O-line class, you're going to have had for the guys that have been around for three years, this will be your third O-line coach in three years. So that's for them become the norm. And that's kind of how it felt for us. Like we were good at getting to know somebody new by the end. (laughs) And there's an advantage to that because you are open-minded. You're used to doing this. You understand the importance of that. But now if you're Joe and Blake and some of these other guys, you've also got the benefit of a foundation of knowing what works for you on the field. And as a veteran player, the way coaches will approach you is often a little bit different just because there's some respect for what you've already put on tape versus guys like me who hadn't seen the field yet. And so you were a little bit more willing to say, hey, I'm going to do whatever the coach says right. on this because I have to. Yeah, what are if like, from a coaching point of view, if you're Joe Rudolph and you come in here like, all right, Joe Walt, um, I'm not going to change. Like It'd be like changing a Tom Brady's throwing motion. Um, well, like You're, you're just going to be like, let's stick with what works. Like Maybe we're going to call it something different, but like offensive line fundamentals are offensive line fundamentals. I don't know if there's a whole lot of variety that you can change up there. Yeah, I mean, there, honestly, there's... <laughs> There's some like subtle differences that make a big difference in okay. how different O-line trees like there are I'm trying to like basically I think in the general O-line sphere there are grabbers and there are punchers. And Coach Eastan's offensive line tree, you're punchers. Like that's where he comes from. Like, like we said, Joe Moore, Tunchilkin, like all these guys, like yeah. you're a puncher. That's how you're going to get down. You're gonna run off the ball. There are offensive line coaches that are more duck offers. There are duck walkers. There are offensive line coaches that are double underhook guys. Like okay. there's there's enough differences in there to where it matters, but also, what you just described is what happened with Coach Eastan and Zach. Zach Martin was a three-year starter when Coach Eastan came into the offensive line, or two-year. He was already really good. And the first person who recognized that was Coach Eastand. And so he was never going to wholesale. And he told the veteran, you know, the veteran guys as much. He's like, I'm not going to come in here and like wholesale change everything you do, but it's my job to help you get even that much better. And, you know, that wasn't he wasn't going to compromise on his technique. You were going to do it. But Zach was already doing that stuff. Like Zach did so many of the best offensive line things naturally because he's Zach and he's the best football player I've ever played with. But it was that same idea that you come in and Coach Eastan saw Zach as a guy that was already a really strong product and he just put that added finish on him, continued to develop that technique in a way that was in line with what he believed. And now we've got, you know, one of the three best offensive guards to ever play pro football because of it. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. What the... So, in terms of, like, a good spring practice for this team, I mean, you know their personnel, like, the coaches are different, but so, like, what... I think that... we. Like in my from the media point of view, we're always talking about like breakout players and like a, a sophomore who may like a like a Tobias Merriweather going from freshman to sophomore year and like being more reliable. Like what actually is a good spring practice if you're a player? Uh, don't get you, injured. You, I was just going to say, man, you get out healthy. Like okay. nothing's nothing's decided in spring ball. You know, you can flash a little bit, but you can also flash in winter workouts. You can flash in summer workouts. Like your job's going to be decided when you get to training camp. And so when you got a new coach, you're trying to show that like you have a clean slate. So if you are a guy that doesn't like your position in life, if you're a guy that's trying to get that next step up, you know, a name that everyone Notre Dame offensive line always likes to talk about is Rocco Spindler and some of the potential there. So if you're a guy that has not been playing before and sees this, it's a new opportunity with a new coach who doesn't know anything about you, knows, you know, maybe what he's been told by the current staff, but they're generally going to form their own opinions, especially the good coaches. And so you see it for the opportunity that it is there. As a young player, you do think you can go and win a job in spring football. And you learn as you get older that that's not <laughs> that really you how this works. Yeah. So, yeah, you try you try and demonstrate the right things to the coaches. It's like what I say about the NFL Combine. You're there to show people you take the process seriously. And if you pop and have like a good moment in there or you string together a bunch of good days then that gets stuck in the coaching staff's craw but in general you're there to show them hey i took the off-season program seriously i'm in really Mm -hmm. good shape coming off of winter workouts here i'm going to internalize the technique that you're teaching me and i'm going to try and put that on display every day on tape and then i'm going to carry that through to the summer and training camp where i'm actually going to go out here and dictate my playing time for the upcoming year all right, before we let you get out of here, I want to pivot to some bigger picture stuff because you were at the you went to Georgia TCU, right? Like, yes, so you saw what that looked like. Um, yeah. a, a bit frightening. It felt like two teams playing two different sports. But from the Notre Dame point of view, I mean, you know, you know sort of what this place is about, what the demands are, what's what's sort of non-negotiable here. How like when you see Georgia, like how realistic does it feel like, yeah, Notre Dame can get there or Notre Dame can win a game like that? Because um, it's, uh, they're definitely, t- like Notre Dame takes, keeps taking big swings and like they don't apologize for going for it. But where Georgia and Alabama are today, man, it does it does feel a little bit different. Like what's, what's sort of your expectation about how Notre Dame can try to summit that mountain? I think... Especially now, so listen, call it what it is. Having Sam Hartman on campus changes the math. I've always said that Notre Dame up front has put themselves in a place being an offense and defensive line program where you're not often going to be at a deficit with those spots, which, you know, Again, I say that as someone who got rolled up front in the trenches in 2012. Yeah. Like I under, but even since then, I think the development's gone even further. Yeah. You've got bigger, faster, stronger up front, more consistently, and so having that as a floor is always going to help for Notre Dame. 
they're just not as deep at every position. And I don't know if you can, how soon you can get to that point where you would have that kind of depth just because Mm -hmm. what it takes to get there from the overall, you know, investment side of things and the winning begets winning part of it that's created this for Alabama and Georgia. Like, listen, I understand Jack and Notre Dame, like they've poured a bunch of stuff into the program. I'm not saying that, but it's just different down there in the way they approach it. And so I think Notre Dame's got a chance where with a quarterback, the caliber of a Sam Hartman, or when you've got, when you, if you can get more NFL caliber quarterbacks on campus, that might be able to overcome some of the gap because I just don't know if you're going to have that same depth of talent as whatever, you know, Alabama, Georgia, like whatever the proxy, whatever becomes them next in the iteration of this is always going to represent like a level of depth of excellence across the board that is just really hard because of some of the limitations at Notre Dame to be able to obtain. So you've got enough talent top line, and if you get a quarterback at the right time, I think you Mm -hmm. can win one of those games. That's kind of where I see it. I've always felt like uh, there are things Notre Dame can do to like try to summit that mountain more effectively but still be Notre Dame. Like I'm not – I've never been an advocate for like, you know, lowering standards or making things easier on yourself. Um, But I was curious, like as an alum and someone who's around the sport on a more national level, like the things that you see elsewhere, like, you know, I think Notre Dame could lean a little bit more towards this, but still be Notre Dame. Um, Does it, does anything sort of come to mind? Like Fortuna and I talk about this a lot. I was curious if like you spend any time thinking about like, okay, these are things Notre Dame could do to like, lean into its excellence a little bit more, um, but also maybe would help them close the gap somewhat on, you know, what you saw, those creatures running around in Athens. Yeah, I mean, so I think the excellence is always going to be there for a number of reasons. Like, I think the school needs to give itself more credit that, hey, the reputation you've built up and what the academic standard is across the street is always going to have that be there. I wouldn't be mad if they made it easier for kids to get in. Because once you get, like... It's like they always say about the Ivies, like a lot of times the hardest part is getting in. Like once you're there, Notre Dame's got the resources. And that's one thing they've always done a great job of with athletes is you're given the resources around you that are going to like help you be able to handle this in a way that I've heard not all places do. And so that part's always going to be there. NIL is a great place. Like I, I will keep saying we have a very wealthy alumni base. We have a lot of very well endowed donors like If there is one place in modern football where we should be able to make up that ground if we so choose, and I don't think it betrays any of what has gone on with Notre Dame. I don't think it betrays any of the excellence. Like, man, some of that endowment money, just trickle that on over (laughs) into this world of NIL and how it affects recruiting now. Which billion did you want to trickle over, Mike? Yeah, I I guess I guess that's the thing is to me that would seem to be the quickest avenue right now at where we're at with college football because the rest of the string things structurally right Googs probably due for a facelift sometime soon that facility yes. you know was had broken ground in 05 and I think everybody kind of understands like I haven't talked to anybody but everyone kind of knows yeah, looking at the that Googs, is definitely it doesn't look like process. a lot of the yeah it doesn't look like a lot of the other college football facilities out there right now. But you got a new indoor, you got a new stadium, you've got a coach that really understands and has energized that player coach relationship and the honesty that I think it takes to recruit in modern college football. So, yeah, just start slinging some more money these guys with, yeah. man. Hell, let's <laughs> let's grip it and rip it, baby. Yeah, this uh, college football, it's a game of balance sheets these days, but uh 
Hey, man, it's it's the money makes the college, world go round. College football recruiting is like it's like human evolution where you just keep running faster to stay in the same place. Like that's where we're at right now. We're just yep. putting the money cannon from nice new facility or video board with your name on it to hey, a couple of endowed player salaries now, yeah. which. Hey, if you're an alum and you want to see a direct benefit, baby, what better way than that? Yeah, that's uh, we're gonna have the uh, Mike Golick endowed uh, right guard position, um, or you know, something like that. I feel like yeah, you're you're talking see, yourself into like a major donation to the university here, Mike. I feel like that's where like because I put together that list of the salaries from the 2015 Notre yep. Dame O line, and there's a lot of great like players that have come, but I feel like there needs to be a spot endowed by the rest of us. So it can be like me, Hunter Biven, Steve Elmer, Mark Harrell, like the rest of the guys that were out there chugging along as, you know, backups who got their moment every once in a while. We'll come in and we'll endow the right guard spot and then we'll call it a yeah. day. It doesn't even need to be the starting right guard. I mean, it's yeah, just, just uh, a right guard. Yeah. I think I think that could work. Um, we'll get to, we'll get you hooked up with development here. Um, there we go. Went over in development office listening to this podcast. Um, oh. You can reach out to me. I'll get you Mike's contact info. <laughs> they believe me. I'm sure the algorithm's already working, and I'm going to get an email as soon as I get off this podcast. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Well, Mike, thanks for this very expensive uh, guest appearance by you on uh, on the Shamrock. If you want to listen to Mike's show, you got the Go Go. Go Joe show, Brandon Newman, uh, former Notre Dame defensive lineman. And then uh, you're also doing, hopefully, in the fall, some more studio work um, for Learfield because you did that you did that last year. Um, yeah. So it's good to, good to have you sort of in the, the national college football space so you can drop in uh, the Shamrock time to time and tell us how the rest of the world's going where it's where it's not snowing in mid-March as it is in <laughs> South Bend, Indiana. What are you talking about? The weather's always beautiful in South Bend. Every day is bright and the sun shines off the dome and life is good. <sighs> So so it's rough, but uh, Mike, again, we appreciate you taking some time for us on the Shamrock in uh, in lieu of my regular co-host Matt Fortuna, who eventually will be back on the Shamrock. But uh, until then, he's Mike. I'm Pete. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of the Shamrock. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.